So it is my great honor this morning to welcome Pastor Charles Montgomery and his delightful wife, Kimberly, to Riverside Vineyard Church. You are so welcome. You are so welcome. So uh, Pastor Charles uh, serves as, I think, teaching pastor at Vineyard Columbus in Ohio and also serves as strategic coordinator for Vineyard USA. Uh, Charles has personally been a gracious and generous help and source of wisdom to Bethan and I as we've sought to lead a multi-ethnic church as well as we possibly can. So we are personally grateful, but I know that this community are going to love you. So, my friend, thank you for being with us today. Can I pray for you? Come, church, welcome. So, Charles, we bless you in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, fill this dear man afresh for this moment. Fill him with wisdom and clarity and power. And, Lord, we pray that you would prepare us to hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good morning, Riverside Vineyard. Good morning. Amen. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord, and I certainly am honeymoon happy and peacock proud, <laughs> amen, to be here at the Riverside Vineyard Church. Pastor Andy and Ben Chapman are my personal heroes, and they're already in my path. I know that, but even better people. But Riverside, you all are incredibly blessed. You are incredibly blessed. Would you all give God praise for having such amazing pastors here? Yeah. Amen. We thank God for them. Amen. I have had the privilege of giving to know them over the years, and let me just share something with you publicly that I know privately. They absolutely adore this need that is at home. Praise, praise the Lord. Now, make something um, powerful. There's something powerful about oneness, particularly in relation to the kingdom of God. I think about, do I need the handheld mic? Is that what we need? Amen. We'll just go handheld. We'll go old school, just mute me on here. And we'll go ahead and roll. All right. Just mute me on here. Is this better? All right. Praise the Lord. I think about Jesus um, when he said um, in John 17, I pray that they all will be one as you and I are one as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. So in spite of our different customs, despite of, in spite of our different uh, cultures, Jesus prays for oneness in this prayer. And if you're like me, you know, we're always asking God to answer our prayers. Why not answer one of God's? See, mates, um, this has become my life's vision, and it was the mission of a leader I admire, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, who said in a nutshell, he said, I have a dream. I have a dream that, that one day, that one day that that, uh, that persons would be able to rise up and you'd be able to see brothers and sisters of all um, different hues be able to, to connect with one another. In a nutshell, he says, in spite of our customs and our cultures, that we all would be one. Even now, it's not uncommon for God to speak through dreams, and such is the case in the text that I want to read uh, in your presence today. It's Acts chapter 10, a very familiar scripture, Acts chapter 10, and we're going to drop anchor on verse number verse number nine. There you'll find some words that sound a little bit like this. 
It says, at about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the rooftop to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so go downstairs, get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? Verse 22. The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy, holy angel told him to ask you to come to this house so that we would hear what you have to say. Verse 27, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit the Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Then Peter began to speak, verse 34. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. This is the word of God. Thanks be unto God. I want to put a tag on this text today. Dreaming the impossible dream. Dreaming the impossible dream. Lord, I love you and I bless you. And I praise you and I magnify your name. I thank you, Lord, for these people who are gathered here under my voice. I thank you, Lord, for this preaching moment. But I confess before all these people, I can do nothing without you. So I pray, Lord, that you would stand up in me. Let none of me be seen but all of Christ exalted. May your word go with power under the anointing of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. My beloved, one of the joys I enjoy in reading my Bible is that the Bible allows me to get an up-close-and-personal look at the lives of people who walk with God. And I am totally dependent upon that privilege in order to draw through uh, comparison what is expected of me in perpetuating the ministry of the Lord to this present generation. In pastoral preparation for this message, it dawned on me that God's main intention in human history is to reunite God's self with a world that is estranged by sin that pepper throughout the pages of Scripture, the peculiar thing is that God chooses to accomplish this dream by reconciling God's self with the world through the faithfulness of people like you and me. But the human dimension of God's activity in the world is a marvelous thing. In fact, many people have asked, why doesn't God just zap the world and make the world to what God wants it to be? And though that might have an appeal, those, for those of us really um, wanting to desire that, we really misunderstand what God is trying to do. But God has revealed God's self as a relational being. And at the heart of uh, his redemption process is the reconciliation of a relationship with fallen humanity. And not just our relationship, but our reconciliation with God. 
but I want to suggest our reconciliation with one another. This is what Jesus was about when he walked the earth, spending three full years relating and sharing with his disciples. You all remember them, don't you? Whether your fondness is of James and John, the sons of thunder, or Matthew, the regenerated tax extortioner, or even Mary Magdalene, who ran from the Holy Sepulchre on the fresh winds of an Easter morning to share the good news that Christ is alive. Hear me. God's chief mission is for the world to be reconciled to him. I believe that Riverside, this is what Luke is trying to illustrate in our text today. For here in Acts 10, again, Luke, he shines the spotlight on one of the disciples, Simon Peter, probably his most passionate disciple. Peter has traveled up to the house of Simon the Tanner, who is the owner of the house he's residing. And there upon the rooftop, he begins to pray. There on the rooftop where he could look up and meditate upon the vastness of our God as he gazed at the heavens above. But then on the rooftop, he could also look down on the city and all of those who stand in need of prayer. And this action of looking up and looking down, you might really say is a precursor to what happens when Peter begins to pray. For appearing upon the canvas of his mind, Peter sees a vision. He sees this vision, and, and all on, on, on the canvas of his mind, the vision is of all creatures, great and small. All of the animal kingdom is represented. This is the vision that Peter sees. But not only does he see a vision from God, but he also hears the voice of God telling him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, no, Lord, I can't do that, for I have never eaten anything uncommon or unclean. You must understand, my beloved, that Peter was a staunch Jew, and he adhered to a strict kosher diet. But here is God calling him beyond his culinary restrictions, beyond his custom, and beyond his culture. And for Peter, this is confusing. He says, God, you know who I am. You know my customs. You know my culture and the, and the restrictions. This stuff is impure and unclean. And God says, do not call anything impure that I have made clean. And this exchange happens not once, not twice, but, but three times, emphasizing there's a message that God really wants us to understand. But when the, when the vision ends and the sheet is taken up, Peter is perplexed. He's, he, he's puzzled. There's a, there's a protest in the spirit. Because for Peter, this is not just an issue of diet. This is an issue of identity. The cultural customs of his ethnic group, just like the cultural customs of all of our ethnic groups, just don't tell us what we like. It tells us who we are. In other words, it gives us a sense of identity. And so Peter was saying, you don't understand, God, who I am. I am with people who eat like this and who talk like this, who live in this place. I could never do that because it would make me uh, not even know who I am anymore. So Peter says, God, you are asking me 
to do something that is against everything that I, that I stand for. You're asking me to engage in an exercise I cannot possibly visualize myself doing. You're asking me to do something, God, that seems impossible. Don't miss this. It's a word that rocks Peter's world. But it also has um, some rudiments of fresh revelation. And even though he didn't understand the fullness of the revelation, it does prepare him to receive an invitation. For the record is in that moment, there's a knock at the door. And at the door are three gentlemen sent by a man named Cornelius. I'm going to talk about Cornelius later on. But right now, you need to know that Cornelius is a Gentile. And because he's a Gentile, I don't believe that Peter would have accepted the invitation had he first not received a revelation. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere. The reason why I believe that's true is because later on in the text, when Peter ends up at Cornelius' house, one of the first things he says is, you are well aware that it is against our law for a, for a Jew to associate with or visit the Gentile. But God has shown me I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Um, so this is what he says. It suggests that, this, that something is happening in Peter, that his isolated identity starts to connect with the surrounding community. And all of this is orchestrated by the Spirit of God. This leads me to my first point. That this dream, y'all, is really a kingdom dream, which means it did not originate in Peter, nor did it originate with you and me. And amen goes right there. Amen. It originated in the mind of, of God. And if it's in the mind of God, it suggests it is the will of God. Hear me. God always pursues God's will. Friends, even if you can't see it, God, here's the first point, is always working in the background. I started reading this, in, uh, this text in verse 9, but I really could have started in verse 1. It's where Cornelius is first mentioned. I already told you, if you haven't daydreamed on me, that Cornelius is a Gentile. But specifically, y'all, he's a centurion in the Roman army. And verse number one, he tells us he hails from the city of Caesarea. And this Caesarean centurion, by the name of Cornelius, has impeccable character. For according to verse number two, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. And he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. In other words, Cornelius' faith is not just evident in his relationship with God, it's evident in his relationship with others as well. Hear me. Everybody that Cornelius comes into contact with was impacted by his faith. It's fair to say in that area. Cornelius' faithfulness caused him to have a rise to, to fame, and this rise garners the attention of God, God's self. Because verse number three tells us one day at about three in the afternoon, he, Cornelius, also has a vision. And not only does he have a, hear a vision, see a vision, he hears a voice. The voice tells him in verse number four, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa, bring back a man named Simon who was called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by Let's see, here's the question you ought to be asking yourself right about now. 
Why is Cornelius being asked to find Peter? Because at this point, though Cornelius is faithful, he's still not a follower of Jesus. He's not saved. He has yet to hear the gospel. He may have heard it in bits and pieces. But he has not heard the whole gospel because at this point, it's only been preached to Jews and some Samaritans. So the voice tells him to send for Peter. And this occurs an entire day before the scene shifts to Peter. Remember now, if Peter had not seen a vision or heard a voice, chances are he never would have went to Cornelius. And likewise, if Cornelius had not seen a vision or heard a voice, heard a voice, he never would have sent for Peter. But there's about to be an intersection under the divine orchestration of an almighty God. But here's the question on the floor. How does God work in the world? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> N.T. Wright would say it like this. God is the working through humans in the world, God. And if N.T. Wright is right, that God works through humans, then God is able to work with anybody. And I say this because though Cornelius is faithful, he's also fallible. How do you know this, Pastor? Because when this intersection finally happens, and he and Peter meet, the first thing he does is he falls at his feet and worships him. Peter says, get up, don't worship me, I'm only a man myself. But Judy, I'm trying to figure out what made Cornelius fall on his face and start worshiping Peter in the first place. And I think the Holy Spirit starts speaking back to me. And he said, Charles, what he's doing is he's engaging and premature praise. Y'all do know what premature praise is, don't you? Okay. Uh, premature praise is kind of like uh, premature celebration. Okay, Y'all looking at me like Alice in Wonderland. Let me see if I can help you. The UK. And um, I know that y'all love rugby here. Um, uh, but I love the fact that uh, the rugby's a uh, little cousin, American football. Uh, at least it's getting played a little bit here in the UK. Saw some NFL teams, played in what's it called, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And, and I hope we do get a team over here so y'all won't boo me when I come back. Um, but uh, in American football, uh, we have this penalty that's called uh, premature celebration. Uh, premature celebration uh, goes uh, something, like, uh, something like this. Okay, let's say this, this towel I have, let's say this towel I have um, is the goal. And so um, you got a player, right? The player's um, got the ball, kind of like in rugby, right? You know, he's got the, got the ball. And if the player um, by himself is running towards the goal, and he starts to celebrate or strike a pose before the goal, <laughs> the referee can turn around and throw a flag for premature celebration. <laughs> now, when he throws a flag for premature celebration, this is what the referee would do. The referee would go all the way back to the point where the player started to celebrate. And not only that, the referee can take the points off the board. Now, y'all, this is messing with me. Because I'm just trying to figure out if, if the player is going to score, 
one and the player knows he's going to score, why not let the player celebrate before he gets to the goal? See, that's what I believe is going on in the text. Corn begins to recognize that, that he sees Peter. Remember, Peter is the one that's given the keys to the kingdom. He's the one that Jesus says, upon this rock, I'll build my church and, and the gates of hell shall, shall not prevail. He's got the secret to salvation. So Cornelius believes that, wait a minute, he sees Peter. He says, I know I'm about to get saved. And so what Peter does is he throws a flag on the play. But if you'd allow me in my sanctified imagination, I believe if Corn if were here today and was able to speak through the pages of time, he would say, Peter, I wasn't worshiping you. I was worshiping you because of what God was getting ready to, get through, to do through you. In other words, I was praising God on credit. And I'll praise him now for what he's going to do later. Do I have anybody with a Cornelius spirit in this house who can praise God now for what he's going to do later? How many of you know if you praise God now, he can bring revival into this church? If you praise God now, he can restore your family. Can anybody here at the Riverside Vineyard praise God on credit? You praise him now for what he's going to do later. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that God is working on Cornelius, who's having a celebration in anticipation of his entire house receiving salvation. But not only is God working on Cornelius, God is working on Peter as well. Because in that moment, Peter comes face to face with what some uh, theologians call the Samaritan factor. And hear me. All of us can be susceptible to the Samaritan factor from time to time. The Samaritan factor kind of goes like this. It's when you know that a certain person is over there. And even though they're over there, you never take the time to have a personal interaction with them. Or better yet, it's when we know that certain neighborhoods exist but we never take the time to visit those neighborhoods. And by chance, if we know someone who lives in that neighborhood, they can come to our house, but we'll never really go over to their house. Because going to their house and through their neighborhood makes us feel unsafe. I'm just talking about the Samaritan factor. How about this one? When we see certain people or group, or tribes over there. But we never really take the time to authentically hang out with them or get to know them because their customs and their culture makes us feel uncomfortable. That's what's happening in the text. The Spirit of God is forcing Peter to deal with his own prejudice. Permit me to pause, parenthetically remind somebody that prejudice is rooted in ignorance. In fact, I'll have to tell you that we live during a time when ignorance is being displayed at an all-time high. See, I, I've already fallen in, in, in love with this church, so I'm not going to talk about this church. You don't have a problem in, in this church, but, but back in the church where I'm from, in Ohio, <laughs> somebody came up to me the other day, and uh, she said, Charles, when I look at you, I don't see color. I see you as my Christian brother. 
I looked at her and I said, girlfriend, there's no way you can see 250 pounds of milk chocolate fineness. <laughs> and act like you don't see that. What you may mean is you're striving like Dr. King taught us not to judge me by the color of my skin, but by the content of my character. But even that's a process. That's another sermon. Invite me back. We'll tackle that one. Uh, but, but, but what I love about this text is that God doesn't leave Peter where he was to wallow in his own prejudice. Instead, he walks him right into a house full of Gentiles. We already know that Peter has said he can't eat certain foods. Y'all know that God don't always play fair. Because we, you know, he can't eat fruit, but, you know, he, he, he goes into this house of Gentiles. And y'all know in the house of Gentiles, there had to be some major cooking going on. Yeah. I mean, can't you see Mrs. Cornelius coming out to greet him with some pork roast and, and sausage and all of that? And I'm sure Peter tried to be polite. But listen, sometimes when you are in a place and you're the only person who looks like you, it's hard to hide the fact that you're uncomfortable. So Peter says, look, I'm not even supposed to be here, let alone preach up in here. In fact, it's against the law. I hope you know this is extremely uncomfortable. That's what I love about this church. I've talked with your pastor and your pastors over the years, and, and I know that you're not afraid to go to some uncomfortable places. We've talked about how you address issues of poverty and how you pursue uh, racial righteousness and justice. You even take up of your resources to be able to do things to, to establish God's kingdom of God on earth, even if that means you've got to go to some uncomfortable places. But I feel compelled to tell you, Riverside, as you continue to go to uncomfortable places, you've got to discover something. Because sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes not everybody in the vineyard... Even in this city is doing what you're attempting to do. But I want to let you know that God sent me all the way across the pond to let you know that as you do that, God will work on your behalf. I don't have time to develop this text like I want to, but suffice it to say that Peter decides to open his mouth and preach the gospel. I need to be honest, Pastor Glenn, I don't think it was his best sermon. In fact, Peter just seems to be going through the motions. And when you read the original language of the Greek, his language seems a little bit lax. All you got to do is look at the content of his message. See how casual and cavalier he is. He basically says, well, you know, uh, uh, Jesus came, you know, he rose again. Um, if you believe that, you know, you too can't be saved. And I must admit, as a preacher, I was confused because this was a Peter. Well, I told you, preach with such fervor and enthusiasm until Pentecostal fire began to fall in Jerusalem. But here he is, among Gentiles, being genteel. <laughs> and casual and cavalier. But here's what I love about God. In spite of Peter's raggedy sermon, the Holy Spirit showed up. Yeah. Uh, because sometimes all it takes is one word from God to change your situation. Proverbs puts it like this. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. I wish I had time to tell somebody that, that one word from God 
can change the optics of your circumstance. Y'all, y'all looking like y'all don't believe me. In the, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, God said one word, let. He said, let. And let struck the gigantic anvil of time and, and caught the sparks with its fingertips and painted the vaulted dome of the midnight sky. God said, God, God said let, and all that was not started straining to, to become. God said, let, and, and breezes began, zephyr breezes began to, 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 to breathe in, in Eden's garden. All because God said, said, let, that one word that can change your, your situation, one word can deliver your child, one word can heal your loved one, for that relationship to be mended, for chaos to be consecrated. All it takes is one word. Yeah. It takes one word. Peter, Peter begins to preach a word. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit came and fell on everybody in the house. And they began to speak in tongues like on the day of Pentecost. And revival started happening. And in that moment, Peter has a, re a revelation that God shows no favoritism. Because the same Holy Spirit who's at, who is at work in us is at work in them. That we are the same probably the first time that Peter even said this in his life and not just in Peter's life. That's true for anybody who wants to dream the impossible. At some point, the Holy Spirit will prove in us that God sees no favoritism and in God's eyes, we are the same. A side order of scripture. In Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. For you, we are all one in Christ Jesus. That's what Peter found out. And friends, that's what God wants us to believe. Believe what, preacher? He wants us to believe that we can dream the impossible, but God can use God's church to bring about the impossible. Oh, but yet, let me close by making it personal. God wants somebody listening right now to know that God can use you. One of the all-time entertainers, not just in the States, but some say in the world was that man by the name of Sammy Davis Jr., Praise the Lord. Some of you may not have heard of him, but his nickname was Mr. Show Business. He was considered to be one of the most versatile entertainers of all time. Because Sammy could sing and play and uh, play instruments and all of that. He could act. But one of the things Sammy really loved to do was tap dance. One of Sammy's protégés was Gregory, Gregory Hines, the famous tap dancer himself. You can imagine with me, there came a time when Gregory Hines found out that Sammy Davis was dying of throat cancer. And when he found that out, he was heartbroken. So much so that he flew out to the state of California where Sammy Davis was to see his mentor, Sammy, pay his last respects. Gets off the plane, goes near Hollywood, where all the stars stay. And there was Sammy Davis, Davis, Sammy Davis Jr. lying on his deathbed. Gregory Hines sees him starts to cry. Tells Sammy how much he's, he's impacted him and how much he's, he's mentored him and all of that. He kisses Sammy Davis on the cheek. Begins to leave the room. As he begins to, as he gets to the door, he hears a <clears throat> behind him. He turns around, much to, his much to his chagrin. Here was Sammy Davis. He stood up. 
he's managed to pull himself off his deathbed, and Sammy Davis is standing before him. And Sammy begins to shuffle his feet. And he shuffles his feet some more. And he shuffles his feet some more. And all of a sudden, Gregory Hines can't believe it because here is his, here is his mentor, Sammy Davis Jr., getting up off his deathbed. And he sees him tap dancing in front of him. He can't believe it because here's Sammy Davis Jr., who is his mentor, who is, who, who is tap dancing in front of him with all the strength he, he can muster. And all of a sudden, Sammy Davis looks at him and he says, you see, in the world of tap dancing, when someone says, what that really means is, I'm giving the show over to you. You see, my friends, I believe that's a moving illustration of what Jesus does to his church. Jesus steps dance, he, he, he tap dances, he, he, he steps through 42 generations onto the, the stage of the earth. And he's born in, in Bethlehem. He, he puts on mortal flesh. He, 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 he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. And, and he's laid in a manger. And, he, and he's smuggled into, into Africa. And he's, and he's baptized in, in the Jordan River. And he's, and he's crucified on Calvary. And he's, he's wounded in his thigh. And he's guarded in his death. But, but he lives today to be able to let us know that. The show is up to you. How do we dream the impossible green dream? My friends, we got to believe the gospel. Paul puts it like this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But there's the power to everyone who believes, the Jew and the Gentile. In other words, the power of the gospel is what brings us together. And to fulfill this dream that we might be one as Christ and the Father are one. Riverside, Christ says, I'm giving the show to you. Here's my question. What will you do? As we prepare for ministry time, and I call Pastor Andy back up to lead us. As I was praying for you this morning, the Lord shared for me that there is a vision on this church. Not to just reach the surrounding community, but I believe that God has placed upon this church an anointing to reach the nations. People right in this house, God has anointed you to reach the nations. Cornelius did not know what was going to happen. He didn't know what to do. He just simply said this, I'm going to be obedient to what God has placed in my spirit. And I believe that some of you, you've come to church and you see these amazing type of representative, representatives of various nations. And it's easy to get comfortable to say that we have arrived. But there's a difference between cosmetic diversity and authentic diversity. It happens when we are intentional in our relationships with one another. And so God spoke to me this morning and he shared with me. For someone that says, I don't know how to do this. I, I come here, but I'm not really living this out in my life. This is what he shared with me. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. 
Start where you are. Use what you have. And do what you can. Cornelius invites everybody in his sphere of influence. And in particular, he invites his family. And there's some of you. You know and God knows that in your family there's someone that's not saved. There's someone that doesn't know the power of the gospel. And oftentimes what that means is that God is putting a Holy Ghost highlight upon your heart to reach someone in your family and in your neighborhood for the gospel. Two more things, and Pastor, I'll give it to you. Peter went to go, well, goes to go share his faith. And there are some people in here. And I'm praying for you to be more effective in sharing your faith. The image I had was of a salt shaker. How salt is not meant to stay in the salt shaker. But it's meant to be shaken out and interspersed. And I believe that God wants to anoint somebody to be able to share the gospel more effectively. And the last thing is this. The anointing upon this house. As of how you are leading, because of how Pastor and Pastors Andy and Bethan are leading in this, in this area, I honestly believe in my heart that what you are building in both locations, what you're building through this church, that one of the reasons why God is blessing you to do this in this area is because I saw some of these young folk walking around here, running around here, some kind of, he came to help me preach my sermon, but I saw him. I believe that young people are going to be able to see your witness. And I believe in particular that there is going to be generations that is going to be birthed from this church. That promote justice, that promote equality, that are so anointed because of what they see you trying to live out here. And so I am praying even right now because the Holy Spirit started to put parents and grandparents aunties and uncles in my heart this morning, that your child, Lord, I'm praying that my child knows you. I'm praying that my child is in relation. I'm praying because of the sacrifices that I'm making, that you're making, that there's something about what they see us doing, that they will be able to catch fire with that, and that your kingdom will come and your will be done, that how you reach the nations is going to be through your young people and how they particularly witness because of the anointing in this house. So I simply say this, what are you going to do? God bless you. Do you want to pray?